Seems like a good place to start. Yeah. Welcome back to the Key in the Late podcast, the premier whiskey podcast now with the, whis- the mention of whiskey in its title. Hi, this is Jake, your host, and we are live on a lovely fall afternoon at the Fountainhead Roof Deck Garden. Wilson is, uh, well, he's on hiatus. We don't know where he is in life right now. Hello, young Callum world. Is, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Callum <laughs> is washing his feet or doing a virtual tasting, only one of the two. And But Bob Zacharias is here with me to help me co-host. I feel like I'm officially always. co-hosting now. It's officially. We kicked them both out. Maybe we'll never have them back. There we go. There we go. How are you doing, Bob? New, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? You look great in that hat. Yeah. Thanks. I actually nice. should call you El Presidente. And don't call me El Presidente. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. Bob, is, uh, Bob has just become the president of his bowling league. Yeah. Which I'm, is a big step for Bob in life. I'm right, yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, interesting time to, to run a bowling league, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, it should be, we'll, we'll figure it out one way or the other. So thanks for uh, coming and hanging out. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm going to let you introduce our guest since you put this one together. Yeah. Uh, as your official co-hosting so duties. Today we have uh, Nate Albrecht and Jim Morehouse from Aleman Brewing, uh, good friends of mine. And um, these guys, uh, we've met, what, eight and a half years ago, maybe? It's eight, close to seems that. like that, right? Longer, 2012-ish. And uh, been... Uh, growing into this industry to kind of together I feel like a little bit certainly I have and um, it's been uh, amazing to to get to know you guys and to work with and like we kind of like blend in a lot of different ways in terms of working together working you know pitching off ideas and whether it's the bars or brewing and, and beer certainly I've learned a lot from these guys about beer um and so i figured it'd be a great uh i'd love to have these guys on so thanks Beautiful. for coming and hanging out guys when i heard that you guys were brewers that were whiskey drinkers that that was all i needed to know about so yeah what was what was what'd you say nate that you guys are oh we're we're we make beer but we're enthusiastic whiskey enthusiastic. there we go there, there we go, go. That's yeah. all we need in this podcast, enthusiastic people enthusiastic. and a little bit, a little bit of whiskey. Yeah. Yeah, we first were talking about you guys when we were drinking the ladies' man. Mm-hmm. Um, July-ish? August-ish? Yes, yeah. yes. With a little time in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we were like, well, let's get them on the podcast. And finally, through uh, many time, a lot of time, here we are. Yeah. So officially well, welcome, guys. Yeah. We appreciate the patience. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. We <laughs> finally made it. <laughs> I blame Bob. Yeah, blame me. <laughs> Scheduling easy, 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 that's, that's a default. Easy thing to do. Yeah. So when did the brewery officially get going? Uh, brand was launched the moment we won uh, a competition that was sponsored by Stone Two Brothers and who am I missing? Well, some like local chef personalities yeah. involved. Cool. Chicago chefs. So we, we win that competition with a coffee pail called Dayman, and it kind of put our brand on the map. Nice. So from there. We realized we had something, and we're excited, and kind of just chomped away there. And that was 2012, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, so, 2012. Um, we've officially started brewing though about four years ago. Okay. So, we're four we years. Licensed in 16. Yeah. <laughs> and home brewing before that, I assume. Yep. Yeah. Did the ideas for kind of like those exotic beers come from what's happening like in the uh, industry right now, with everybody trying so many different ways to stand out as a brand? I mean, the spirit of home brewing has always been kind of in the back of our minds and and yeah absolutely the the fun of home brewing is all about experimentation and seeing what you can derive or what you know seeing what sticks to the wall or like you know depending on how far you want to take your hobby mm-hmm. um we definitely started brewing that way but uh in terms of like current trends and current waves of 
of beer styles. I mean, uh, the the coffee India Pale that Jim mentioned was pretty off the wall yeah. at the time. No, we nobody, made. nobody did that. Yeah, I mean, we had tasted one iteration prior to that was the inspiration for us to try it ourselves. So, cool. but at that time, that was a weird beer. Now, it's running the mill. 2012. I'm thinking like, wow, I don't know if I've ever even heard of that. Yeah, right. right. Oh, yeah. In terms of beer craft beer yes. especially yeah. especially in this city too now where it's come from since 2012 yes. and evolved into right uh so then where do you go so what took you another four is it four years you said to get your license to actually Roughly, yeah and just you know learning we never ran a production facility so volunteered collaborated contract brewed with people just to kind of figure out what you needed to do to get things off the ground is there any certain breweries that you were working with to help that learning process we go faster volunteered at beguile we oh. brewed with dry hop we we, we were all over yeah, we, anyone we really that said tried yes. to cast that net real wide from a from the jump street you got to stay my two favorite breweries in the whole city i live right across the street from dry hop and beguile is where this whole podcast actually started we were beginning we started recording there a year and a half ago so really? yeah we did about 50 episodes recording in there and then everything kind of you know hit and obviously Kevin didn't think it'd be very safe to have a podcast in, in their facility while you know COVID's happening, and I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with that more. So you, you pivoted to a great rooftop. Well, Bob said, "Come on over." So, yeah, yeah. We've got so an open air space. Like, that you oh, can use. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 So we've been here most of the summer and now the fall. Yeah. But yeah, uh, two great breweries, and also you know the owners of both those places that are very, um, I guess, open arms when it comes to spreading their knowledge and even. Uh, I think the best part of like what Kevin does is that he's always open for to learn new things too. Never Absolutely. shut down that. Yeah, he's very welcoming in every way. Uh, and I think something else too, like where you guys, I, I love the story of ladies man. And so I want to, I wanted to throw that to Nate and talk about it. Let's talk about yes, the yeah. ailman ladies uh, man. It, it involves a lot of Tim Meadows impressions. Gotcha. <laughs> um, ladies man was, uh, is one of the the oldest recipes, oldest beer concepts that we've been brewing as a group. Goes all the way back to home brewing times, and no, that's actually when piloted at Beguile on their small system before they upgraded the ten barrel. That's a really good point. Wow! Yeah. wow. Beguile's first brewing really? system. Yep. We tried that beer out. Uh, story of that beer is uh, we were throwing a party for a lady that was going to become my wife <laughs> and uh was she, going was going she still is my wife it's been a success it was a successful experiment party nailed it right. uh and yeah we just wanted to have uh his and hers beers we're pretty non-traditional folks and we had a lot of friends get married at the time and we were kind of making jokes about sort of the the ubiquitousness of things like lighting your candle <laughs> unity ceremonies or sand blending, blending sand yeah. and yeah no that just didn't speak to us at all so we <laughs> thought we'd have a little fun with it and we had uh we conceptualized his and her beers uh and the idea you know because again we're just silly home brewers is we wanted to design the recipes so that they could be blended together mm. mid-ceremony and then we'd have a third freestanding beer that would be for all the wedding guests and they were part of the blending and uh it came off really well um you know at the time we were really comical we called hers the better half and mine the worst half (laughs) and uh her beer for the wedding is essentially the bones of what ladies man is once we'd made it and we tried it a couple times and we really 
uh, we fell in love with the idea of, of growing and cultivating our own uh, garden of, of lemon thyme plants to flavor that beer. Uh, and it, the whole thing just kind of clicked and uh, we've kept it around years afterwards now and, and my wife still drinks it all the time. Yeah, and make sure that people know that it's it's her it's beer. Her, right. Let's everybody know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's me on the That's, can. This, 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 I was wondering. It looks exactly like you. <laughs> it, uh, well, two things. We have very. Uh, we both don't wear wedding rings as men who are married. So, which I always get told I'm a creeper for doing that by Jamie Duffy. Yeah, she did. Um, she called you out on that. And then that. we were we were thinking of the same thing too for our wedding last summer. Like, how do we do not do the traditional? candle or sand so we actually blended whiskey together beautiful yeah See? Put, uh, it, put it in a barrel like a little two gallon really? barrel. yeah and we were opening it up on our anniversary in july and it had been completely evaporated and there was nothing left in the barrel <laughs> no way we have what? no idea how it was just sitting in our apartment and it's a blessing to the gods so yeah yeah the gods it's truly an angel share right right we're just like oh i opened it up and, sh- and like there was a little spout on it so i'm like not even opening it nothing and wow. i'm like Oh, I'll tilt it up a little bit. Nothing. I'm like, it's heavy. Feels like something's in there still. Open it. It was just all in the wood. Yeah. Wow. And you put it in a deep freezer what, and try and get the, the wood to squeeze that maybe. juice back out. Right. Maybe. What uh, What did you guys blend? It was a few things. So it was uh, places near and dear to me. Maybe not necessarily to her, but Koval, where I used to work at. So we did uh, one of their... At that time, the newest batch of white rye that came off. Okay. And then uh, a little bit of juice from Journeyman. Okay. And then also uh, our new make from Starward. Okay. Yeah, so it was a little bit of that, and we filled up the barrel and took and it home with us, and it was sitting on the shelf. I guess I should have tried it out earlier before, right. <laughs> for a year, but now oh, it's unfortunately, gone. now it's completely gone. The barrel's still there with our name on it and stuff. But yeah. I don't know, Bob. That, I'll bring it by and you can figure out how to get it out sometime. There we go. <laughs> I'll take it over to Mike at Cobalt. I'll hit up and figure it out. Throw yeah. something Throw something in there. That's but a great memento. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the, the idea of just that becoming your flagship now after, you know, brought together by love and unity and all that good stuff. That's awesome. And Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then kind of from there, was it more or less honing in on – on core items like like what did you guys kind of fall in love with in terms of the brewing aspect obviously there was the experimentation and and then kind of was it then kind of honing in on on what flagships were going to be like ladies man like i know like the man was like a recipe you guys have been were tweaking like yeah i mean at that point it was finding a location right and understanding what we wanted to do as a brand in terms of size and output but yeah, it was more refining homebrew recipes, and it's not just a scale up one to one. Yeah, you have to learn that process. So, it was dialing in things for a production facility. It really was the best, the next big step for us. Right. And yeah. the industry's the industry's attitude towards flagship beers or core brands was a lot different four and a half years ago. It seems like such a short amount of time, but yeah, there was a, a different kind of focus on, you know, what's our our pen of three or four. That mm-hmm. we're, we're always going to replicate. They're always going to be the same. Playing into seasonality, things like that, like was a was a much bigger focus and concern at the time. Right. So. Okay. How's it shifted to now? What's the concern about we it? We need to make more beer, different yeah. beer, yeah. more frequently. It's Based just, on seasons or? Uh, not necessarily. Just more of like the market trend. Uh, they walk in and see an ailment product that they tried before. They may find it delicious. Yeah. It's not new. It's not different. 
And that's kind of what people look for. I mean, yeah. I, I find myself doing it. Like, yeah. I'm going to try right. what I haven't had before. Yeah. I think of like beer and spirits a lot like sports, how every year in the NFL, like you have like your mainstays, like your four or five teams that are always competing for a championship, but there's always that turnover in teams that were five and 11, four and 12 the year before, get an easier schedule and they come back up and they're kind of seen as the next darlings of that year or people who are going to contend for a championship and it's always ever changing. But with spirits and beer, like how do you become part of that part of that a brand that you see on the shelf and you always your go-to it's always like it's going to compete for you know not just the dollars but the interest in the public as well and working with buyers to be to be known as a brand that you can always go to and have a good drink or have it in a good cocktail or trust trusting the brand essentially as you can trust like a team that's going to go you know play be in the playoffs at the end of the year like how do you become a, a, a patriots or a seahawks something like that a mainstay consistency in, yeah. one, in one word um I mean that's a really good point. I, that gets into some really, some really deep philosophical topics Let's about. Deep. Let's get real deep. Uh, <laughs> you know your integrity as a brand. Are you gonna, are you gonna chase trends? Are you gonna wait for trends to come back around? Are you gonna, you know, focus on? For us personally, I think it's, it's all about focusing on what we do well, playing to our individual strengths when it comes to recipe writing and conceptualizing a beer, and Chicago. I think we are very fortunate, Jim and I and, and our partner Brad are very fortunate for because we all come from the restaurant side mm. and the, the service side, the bartending side of this industry. So there's it's our brewing concepts have always been informed by conversations over the bar with customers and what are people are looking for, what people do or don't like and uh, I think that that's been a that's been a huge leg up over the yeah. years, and having that perspective of of not only the production and, and doing things exactly the way we that we want all the time, and having this this voice at our you know the other half of our lives, where we're we're talking to consumers, we're constantly customer facing, and uh, yeah, t- being able to take that perspective from across the bar and applying it to our principles has right. always been huge for us. Like. We're not going to chase a trend, though you're sitting in front of a beer that plays to that very much. That's just because of beer we wanted to make. It's right. not because juice is hot right now. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the new beer. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, this is arguably my favorite of the seasonal products that Ailman makes. Um, I'm a big Halloween nort nerd. I love this time of year. Uh, so we got it in our heads some time ago through a mutual love of Bill Murray uh, that we wanted to replicate the flavor profile and you gotta bear with me here we wanted to replicate the flavor profile that used to come from high seas ecto cooler drink boxes when we were kids yes. when the Ghostbusters movies came out yeah, green and delicious mm-hmm. right. we wanted to make ecto cooler beer and, uh, but not have it be green? Yeah. Uh, Just get the still, green. That still hurts a little bit. Contentious. I wanted it to be green. <laughs> I got vetoed. You did. I got vetoed real vetoed. <laughs> You know, St. Patty's Day happens every year, except for last year, I guess, but maybe, yeah. th- maybe this year. It, it happened, and that's why we closed down the city. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. It yeah. did happen, technically. Three, yeah. days, three days beforehand, but I actually blame Cal O'Donnell for yeah. that. Yeah. He led a charge through Chicago on a whiskey tour of getting drunk and... I blame Ke- I blame Callum for COVID. The whole thing. Yep. Yeah. So, so you guys, instead of making a an artificially flavored 
sugar bomb of with some vitamin C in a in a juice box. We we did a little bit of digging, figured out that uh, Ecto Cooler from Where We Were Kids was supposed to be tangerine flavored. Oh, uh, so they're like, oh great, let's make a tangerine beer. Um, we started building on this idea of creating a, a double pale ale as opposed to an imperial IPA or a, uh, and it was all about kind of the, the philosophy of how we were going to hop it, what kind of varieties of hops we were going to use, pounds per barrel kind of thing. And it, it's actually throttled back, you know, it, it does drink like a pale ale, not necessarily like an India pale mm-hmm. when it comes yeah. to hop bitterness and, uh, you know, green character. Right. Yeah, most of the, the fruit is not just derived from the tangerine itself. It's driven by the hops just as much. Yeah. Pineapple from the Chinook, so good this year. Uh, makes sense why it's called Vinkman. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. I, I love uh, one of my – this is one of my favorite beers that you guys do. I think it's a, it's a, it's a perfect beer for the season. I think it's fun, but yeah, yeah the beer itself, the juice – is always good. Yeah, and that's it's big enough and warming as well. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Um, Maybe on a breezy day like today, it's comforting. Yeah. Uh, I guess we there there is a part of the story missing where we, we did have a grouchy brewer moment where uh, there was a lot of call to do spiced ales and pumpkin beers and you know roasted squash, beets, things like that that people were really pushing towards, and we just really didn't want to do that. Especially, especially four, four years ago or so. I mean, yeah, it was yeah, like... Was. Flooded, flooded by right. the end of by, August. By, yeah, right. yeah. And it's earlier right. and earlier yeah. every year. I was just talking about end caps of yeah. southern uh, tier pumpkin, right? Yes, southern tier pumpkin. Yeah. yeah, which I know seven seven years ago that was the biggest beer, like the most popular beer in the fall for months. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I haven't had people call for pumpkin beer. I haven't. Which I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that, too. Uh, yeah, I should say, too, Jim Morehouse, also uh, general manager. Yeah. Uh, general manager of Rockwell's. Many hats. A, a, amazing, yes. amazing, uh, great neighborhood spot uh, up in Lincoln Square. And so you also have the, you know, the same scene, what people are asking for, Absolutely. the trends, things like that. Um, Nate also has worked with our restaurant group for Going seven, on, yeah, seven going on years almost eight now. years now. Um, he's over at the bar on Buena, um, our original location. Uh, and so, like you guys said, like seeing what people are asking for has kind of helped you guys. Kind of whether you go that route or you stay away from that route in terms of like what people are asking for and and brewing and all that. Yeah. And that's uh, that's pretty cool. But I, it's it's slightly undercover at some point. You know, you you're getting information that. You utilize in a way different way than you would just if you were a server going right. to the next table. Right. And is that, that information moment. you kind of have to wait for till the next year? Sometimes if you're in the middle of winter and people are ordering this and that, you're like, I do I have time to make it yeah, this year? Stuff it in your cap, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's a broader understanding of what people are asking for at all right. times. Um, yeah. There is seasonality to drinking, but when people come in and call for the same eight beers over and over and over again within the same style yep. category, Hint, like, hint, hmm. hint. Yeah. Right, right. Maybe, right. maybe we should make a coach. <laughs> 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 All about a coach. Yeah. Where did the branding kind of come from, the concept? That's kind of a fun story. That's a fun story. Yeah. I, I, love <laughs> I, love, I love your branding, and branding for me is like, it's how you get introduced into a brand, regardless of what it is. Well, we, so we first pitched the idea of what we thought our brand and logo should be mm-hmm. to a group of people. A number of them. Like, here's some imagery to kind of help 
drive you in a direction, but have fun. And we received a lot of things that of quality that just really didn't like land and hit home for us. And then I believe one of your good friends in eight minutes sketched and doodled what is <laughs> mostly our logo now. Cool. It's like, yeah, nailed it. That, Dang that's that it. Animal? Perfect. What's that? Um, buddy Eric lives Eric? up in Green Bay now. Yeah. Okay. I remember one of my still one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite memories of Fountainhead was uh, we were throwing a rooftop party. Yeah. Uh, I was still pretty new. I just met these guys maybe a few months prior, and okay. I remember Log had his first appearance on the rooftop, and Dave Putman. I remember him walking up to me, one of our our owners, who's like, "Who is this?" Ale man, and where does he reside? And it had the, the, the I just always remember that, like it was just like this sort of like a mystique, mystique yeah. sort of thing. Like who is this ale man? It was just uh, it was it's something that always sticks in my in my mind um, in terms of that. And so I, I think um, is there an idea of an ale man of who the character is? That we've played with that over the years. I mean, there's kind of a funny stream of consciousness story about where the name Aleman comes from. Um, we had initially intended on doing a full service brew pub restaurant. We came from restaurants. That's what we wanted to replicate when we when we launched the brand. We'd envisioned doing a food component just as much as, as beer. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a good friend who was a professional chef and a, a butcher. Uh, he butcher. was a butcher by trade. A really talented sausage maker. Hmm. Um, that got an awesome reputation of his own really quickly. And we brought him on and his, his vision for the food was to marry Spanish and German cuisine. Um, some cool parallels that we were like, I, yeah, I love that. And, uh, it became really, you know, the, the stream of consciousness that went from like Spanish, German, Spanish for German is Aleman. We're like, that kind of sounds like a beer superhero. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we it and it's Aleman. Yeah. Right. So we we ran with it. Yeah, we were uh, it's kind of fast forwarding significantly, but we had the opportunity to brew in Germany some years later. Oh. And uh, cool. Ver I mean, very much dream come true kind of stuff. But we were walking around Berlin in gear that had the branding on it, and we met more than a couple German people that were like, "You named your company Germany." <laughs> <laughs> I, and they were like, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> Really? Yeah. Uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, there is every now and then between my time at from oh, yeah. between here and at Bar and Buena, there is still a fair amount of people like that will say, "I'll take the Aliman." Yeah. 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 So. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah. It's so okay. To yeah. answer your question, we've talked about you know, comic strips yeah, yeah. or like how to how yeah. do you create who is the Aleman, um, and there we've just haven't followed through with any of them. Be honest with you. <laughs> uh, the, you there the is a genesis story of the Aleman. It sounds like a great thing they put on Instagram stories to kind of just keep throwing it out there as a little read for everybody to like kind of go through and play with around with the brand. Yeah, that we, way. So we had this wonderful idea, and in, in most situations, we were beaten to the punch by very big competitors. Ah. Not competitors, but Ska Brewing has a magazine or a, a cartoon. Yep, yep. yep. Three, Three Floyds, Floyds it, was right? doing comic yeah. books for all their no, brands. Just they're like, them. Yeah. Just not going <laughs> to dip our toe in that pool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really have that resource pool. I'd like to do like a noir radio show, like The Shadow. Yeah. Like, who is the ailman? Yes. It's like an old, an old PI story. Right. Yeah. 
When we start the Key in the Lake podcast industry, we'll have that on for sure. I appreciate the nod. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. I know what. I've offered a few other shows to other people, too, and they're still beating down the door for that. So, But Matt Brown, you're not getting your own show. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And the the little hop, too, just at the bottom of the logo, I think it's just such a a subtle nod. You know, like – it's a it's a small touch with something that that people that kind of sticks out, you know. Individually for both of you, how did you come into this whole world of beer? Was it something that's you know start? Obviously, you said both come from restaurant world. Was it just trying things? Came and from the same restaurant world where oh. he was a, a regular customer, and I was you know behind the bar slinging drinks. And you know, that conversation, we should brew beer. We should brew beer. We actually came to fruition one day, slightly drunk and leaving a festival. Just went and scooped up all the gear and, and made it happen that day. Wow. It blew up all over Jim's yeah. living room. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah, how that first, first batch The go? first beer was volatile. 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 <laughs> it was delicious, but uh, it made a mess. Uh, but, yeah, I, I moved to Chicago over 10 years ago now, um, my wife and I, and came from Ann Arbor, Michigan. No. And, you know, have been interested in observing a, a thriving beer movement in Michigan, yeah. you know, since That's way true. before I was legal to drink. Right, right. And just idolizing brands like Bells and Founders and, and you know, uh, New Holland that just, I was like, this is just so different. And just the, the most awesome memories of Oberon Day mm. in Michigan every year when Oberon would release. That it was this it holiday be- for people that just go nuts and... Right. As a really to think, young to think person, that there was an like, is an, an, an there was an Oberon day. Oberon day. Oh yes. yeah. Like and it, and it was massive. I, it was I massive. Bet. Every people, day is Oberon day now. Seriously, <laughs> it's Oberon day. It's right. Nobody went to class on Oberon day. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it was just it was being kind of in awe of something that just seemed so adjacent to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, I that was immediately like just a, a fascination. Yeah. And, you know, small companies that build into huge companies mm-hmm. that are still privately owned and, you know, changed an entire culture. Yeah. Uh, so. And that's lost so much so easily in this day and age where people see, like, companies like that kind of blow up into more of a national success story. Yeah. And you forget, like, without those kind of companies, none of this would be really happening. Oh, yeah. I, I told people all the time I'd be doing tours over at Koval because we were the first distillery in Chicago. But, like if you didn't have like your goose islands of the world to start like the craft alcohol movement in Chicago, like none of us would probably really exist. And when people, we did some collaborations with goose island, like, Oh, I don't really drink it. Cause it's this and that. I'm like, that's understandable. Like, but you can't really talk shit about like the history of where we're yeah. standing now. The Godfathers. And, right. Right. Yeah. And I, we'd, I always try to stay as, as humble as possible where we're at with this company. And like, we would not be here without the people that gave us an opportunity like I've always mm-hmm. talked about, we're constantly standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, like, it's an right. endless list. Of it's so. Especially in this city when it comes to beer. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Jim, like, so that was kind of a similar fascination for you? or? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a pure interest of what go, what it takes to put that final product in the glass. And that's where it started. Right? Yeah. And, you know, once that scene blew up, the availability of different high quality beers was just abundant. Like, drink for hours every day if your liver could allow it <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of what led us to actually finally pulling the trigger and getting that job done if you will um yeah that's, that's really it and then being fortunate to run a, a restaurant where the hours allow for you to come in and use a full-blown facility 
far far superior to anything that people could do at home with right. sanitizer on hand, you know, ventilation, temperature zones, like you name it. So yeah. it was pretty awesome. So shouts to the owners of Rockwell's letting us brew in the basement. <laughs> I was going to say, say you guys, you guys, were, you guys yeah. were essentially brewing in, in, at Rockwell's, right? At Rockwell's, yeah. right? Yeah. In the kitchen, on the patio, depending on the weather. And, and there should be something to be said. I know you guys had we've already you've already touched on it, but like winning a national yeah, I was going homebrew oh, competition yeah. is who are these guys? And yeah, like we'll that to figure out who we are and then go do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't um, have an answer for that question. Right. Right. <laughs> we right. didn't have an answer. For that question. We actually started as. Uh, Heavy-handed brewing, okay. and in that competition, we were uh, there was a slight nudge like you might want to reconsider your naming because that infringes upon what we're doing. So yeah, here we are with those two brothers. Those two brothers. They have heavy-handed IPA. Yeah, that's right. Mike, that sounds familiar for some reason. That's right. Yeah, one of the brothers yeah. was a judge, rightfully so. <laughs> in the competition. And, and it was like. Your beer is amazing, but, but we want you to change your name. Cease and desist. <laughs> yeah, share a label with that. Uh, we know that you're a home brewer, but don't do this. <laughs> when you were, so in that four-year period, were you just kind of experimenting around with newer ideas of beers or uh, kind of trying yeah. to more craft your... Sourcing, financing, yeah. s- seeking spaces, equipment. Yeah. I mean, yep. Construction, license, I mean, uh, permitting. The, the permitting process was a nightmare. Because we tried uh, to do it ourselves instead nope. of paying the... Highfalutin architects to, to pave the way, <laughs> but we did have some some really trusted friends and, and Kevin Carey, uh, Matt Ritchie, the original uh, oh, founders yeah, of, yeah. of Beguile, were two of the first that you know we were already supporting Beguile at the time, and, and they were like, you guys, uh, you know, word of caution type conversations, like you should come in and 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 move hoses, do the cleaning, like do the the daily work. See if this is something that you really want to do. Yeah. And there was a lot of that happening in those four years where, because, you know, every brewery, every production facility has its own nuances, its technological capabilities, its technological restrictions. So finding those opportunities to go and see the way different people made their art was huge. Here's your SOP. Here's their SOP. And where do they meet in the middle? And what are we going to borrow for ourselves? So trying to get a very realistic picture of the, the labor. Mm. Involved. Mm-hmm. Does any, do you think that scares a lot of people away once they get past, once they have the idea of like, hey, I'm going to start a brewery, but never really actually going into the details and learning from the bottom up? Uh, I've talked to more than a few home brewers <laughs> over the years that were like, you know, I, I tried it and it just wasn't for me. It's really hot in there. It's really hot. Summertime isn't yeah, fun. The, uh, the, the amount of, of, of hard labor that right. goes in is something that gets missed yeah graining out that, that people don't, don't think about yeah you know it's you it, guys know that that and anything to do with whiskey you hear some people like oh i had an idea to start a distillery i think like my friends would buy it or my whiskey if i made it and you're like okay that's great that's 12 bottles but what are you gonna do with the rest of the time and then how are you gonna actually do it people are like oh, i'm gonna go on youtube and learn how to distill like well that might work for a little bit yeah. but just so far right but it's like the apprenticeship you know doing things for free and learning that craft is really how you hone in on things to make a truly good product 100 percent, and something you can believe in too like it's there's so much behind the scenes work and you know like even like as an ambassador job you're like oh your job's so cool you can go out to bars and drink and hang out with people like bob but <laughs> um which is a great part of it but you don't see like the hours of doing emails or like going into 
a retail shop, and for the third time, they're like, "Come back next week." You're like, "But you said you'd order the week before." And yeah. but oh, I'll have the I'll have money to do it next week, and you come back again, and someone's like, "No," or being turned down five, six, seven times in one day. Like, tomorrow I gotta go do it again, yeah. and and tonight I'm gonna go do like a bar and like hang out with good people and drink, and I'm gonna buy a few drinks and it'll be a good time, but. The seven hours before that of like I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just getting denied. <laughs> Emotionally exhausted. Right. Emotionally it, it is like a lot of it's just like your head is just tired. Like even last night was a, yesterday was like a full day and I come home at ten o'clock and I'm just went to my bed and laid down and my wife came in and she's like, Are you in bed? I'm like, I just can't like I have no energy to like say out of gas. Like hi <laughs> even. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever. But yeah, it's it's there's it becomes a labor of love. It has to, or you're not going to exist. And yeah, you're not going to get rich. No. No. And right. it definitely comes back to that analogy that you used about, you know, everyone's working to try to be the Patriots. Everyone's yeah. trying to be the Patriots. Right. Yeah. Hopefully the Bears uh, this year, Bob. That, nah, I don't think no? so. No? Why didn't we sign Le'Veon Bell? Uh, you know who did sign? I do know. Who. Yeah. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. They just got better. The rich get richer. Because the Chiefs need more talent. They do. Uh, they do. They're so lack, lacking in yes, that. Yes, yes. Um, that is something going back to the the labor of love and something that in meeting, specifically meeting a lot of people, but specifically you guys, and I was very green into into this business when, when I started. Um, I had bus tables and, and bar back, but I didn't know. I couldn't even pour a beer when I started. And um, But meeting you guys really, like, it made me fall in love with the the amount of blue collar work mm. that goes into making beer and in the process of it and it wasn't to me it wasn't just like it's not just it's not bud light it's not budweiser these are these are these are hard working people that that are making beer and that are there's there's so much more that goes into it and yep. it part of the reason why I fell in love with this business was 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 to to you guys and, well, and and meeting you guys and getting to know you guys and um, it, that's humbling. It, that's honestly, like cool. it was and becoming friends and and then working together, um, working with whether that was setting up events or or brainstorming. Jim talk, event, yeah, I was talking about the bars and what's going on or about beer and that it's you know there's it meant so much more than just pouring a beer you know and so that was something that. Um, you know, I cheers to you guys for um, the amount of hours, and I know how much you guys have put into this company, and and you know, it's yeah, the, the it's not, great to see the you not guys. So where you're at. Side was, the not so glamorous yeah. side was the not so glamorous side, you know, and well, like every, there's a lot of that. It's every yeah. beer you pour is a support to your friends. I mean, it's exactly. not, it's not just pouring that's, beer. That's what it is, yeah. right? And that's that's community. That's that's building relationships and it's it means more to me to serve a beer that i know where this beer is coming from and right. i know who's making it and it's you know there's a symbiotic you know yeah. but it's something you gotta to earn yeah yes it's always been something that you have to earn yes yeah. yes well, i think it comes with like every aspect of this of beer and spirits industry if you're somebody that's looking for a job, you're not going to last longer than six months. And even if you're just an administrator at, in an office, so just, if you don't really like love or understand what's going on, you know, in that brewery, distillery out the doors, 
I don't think you're going to stick around because it's like you said, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to get paid a lot when you're working like in an office for a brewery or distillery. You're probably going to make like 30 to 40 grand a year tops. And if you're working for a craft brand, like being an ambassador, you're not going to make a lot of money either, but you're going to spend a lot of hours. And if you're not out there believing what you're saying about the product, there's no yeah. way that comp- no, yeah. you're not going to last and that company's not going to last too. It's a lifestyle. It's, yeah. it's, it's not pay. It's a lifestyle. It's passion for what you are doing. And and, so, I think and it's cool because you're building Chicago too at the same time because spirits have become such a big part of this beer is going to be a big part of the city where uh defining like our spaces and our neighborhoods by the restaurants we go to the places we hang out because we've talked about it a lot in this podcast our neighborhoods are an extension of our living rooms in this city where we go and hang out we don't not just to sit in our own houses but to go have a beer and a conversation with the people within our little neighborhood yeah i, I miss that yeah it's Same. the biggest yeah. it's the biggest i think too. part of the, like everything being what it is today you know, even last night, which like it's great just to be out, even when it's 39 degrees outside, and you're like, I can't do it inside, but at least I can do it here a, a little bit and get a little bit of normal normal normalcy back in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it it's meant like when I can when I can open up a can of of ladies' man and serve it to somebody behind the bar, and I can tell mm. somebody about like these are the people that I know who make this beer. Like, there's something that just it's great. Uh, there's there's no there's almost no better feeling than being able to, and then to have a customer be like, this beer is great, and it's awesome yeah. to hear the story, and yeah, this is, you know, like, these are local people, and these are hardworking people, and these, you know, it's, it just means so much more to be able to do that than to just open up a high life, which hey, I hey, do hey, open hey, up whoa, a high life, whoa, and I whoa. will enjoy a high life from time to time. Slow your roll, Bob. But, um, Spons- but sponsor just, the podcast. <laughs> you know. In my own mind. There's a... <laughs> There's there's, there's more life. of a there's there's more of a of a feel to it and it, yeah. and it and it's you have a relationship with it yeah 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 absolutely um yeah where did uh what other beers do you guys focus on making too then uh, the, primarily the OGs if you will the the old school the core if you want to call it that um, we do a a pretty I guess traditional at this at this juncture in the beer world uh, West Coast leaning. Uh, India Pale would not call it a, a West Coast IPA, but it is modeled after um, beers that we have come to love, San Diego County stuff, and uh, that's our, our our year-round hoppy offering. Um, we're always producing the Ladies' Man, which we never said specifically is is uh, a Belgian-style wheat ale. Uh, kind of lives somewhere between a, a farmhouse beer and a, a more traditional wit beer. Yeah. And uh, the kicker there is the beer is is flavored with a, a healthy dose of fresh lemon thyme leaves. Uh, it gives it kind of a cooler baseness. It's not a hoppy beer, but kind of lives in in those two worlds. And then, uh, you know, we've always been fans of malt. We've always wanted to have good malt-driven products, and our our answer to that for the longest time has been the Soul Man, which is a uh, an American brown ale, good roast, good bitterness. Um, but the, the kicker on that one is we hand make uh, a big portion of, of salted caramel. Mm. Um, towards the end of the brew day when we're batching that beer, we, we hand make salted caramel. And when it hits the, the correct uh, caramelization temperature, it, it gets blended in the whirlpool of the beer. Nice. Um, kind of acting almost like uh, the traditional use of like Belgian candy sugar. Okay. Dries mm. the beer out, drives some ABV, but there is some depth of flavor that, that's attributed with that. Uh, there is some method to that madness. Yeah. Um, Adds tremendously to the aromatics of that beer as well. Mm. 
So that's, you know, we have a, it's always a really tough conversation. Maybe not, I mean, it's not tough for every brand, but it's always a tough conversation when folks you know, are just getting to know your products and they, they say, well, what, why Ailman? What, what do you do that's different than everybody else? And, and, you know, how do we know an Ailman beer? And it was, it's always been our, our best answer. Um, cause our stylistically we're, we're all over the place, but our best answer for that is, is each one of our beers has a small hallmark kind of signature to it. Something that we either learned to do by hand or grew ourselves or, you know, went somewhere and, and learned a process that we could then replicate on our own. It, it, they all have these, these small signature uh, aspects to them that make them specifically ours. Is that learned from, as you said, contracting through breweries, or is that more because you have your own facilities now to operate within? Well, that's more just general interests of our own, mm. coming from that side of the bar and working in kitchens, and like there's a culinary aspect right. to mm-hmm. our processing of raw materials and adjuncts when it comes to, pro- to making beers. Like if we can make it ourselves, we're going to. Mm. So it's a like a personality characteristic that the both of us share a general curiosity for those kinds of things does food come into play when you're thinking about pairing maybe with a beer you're making at all uh yeah i mean naturally yes we eat a lot of pizza so (laughs) figuring out what tastes good with pizza Pizza, and what doesn't taste good with pizza (laughs) (laughs) turns out most beer tastes good with pizza (laughs) think so i think it's usually Uh, so that's maybe not the biggest help but flavor affinities yeah um we definitely treat more like a, 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 a culinary director. We, you know, the way that we try mm. to think about bringing flavors together. Very cool. The the lemon thyme is a perfect example of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays we, the same role as coriander and bitter orange peel in a traditional wit. Right. Dries you out, brightens it up, just kind of adds to the full experience. Uh, the other thing that you guys do that I love as well is that you guys do a ton where you work with small independent places and mm. do... Uh, such as collaborations or one-off batches and you guys have been doing that for for years and and excuse me a lot more than some other breweries where it's like we're making this beer for this place and this is what this place does in terms of their food and so this is what we're going to do on the beer side to kind of match that kind of talking in the the culinary aspect or pairing beer with food like this is what you know if it's a, a great taco joint they're like we're gonna make something that's gonna work well in this in this space and so your guys uh, the way that you guys work with 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 different bars restaurants and um that's a really cool aspect that i think it's you know that a lot of other places should be doing more yeah well i don't want to show all of our cards at once i mean these are like (laughs) closely guarded company secrets but uh the beer distribution game in chicago is is difficult really difficult and it was difficult four and a half years ago when when we first started right and uh due to financial constraints due to a a lot of different elements we came out of the gates as a a draft only company and uh that both helped and hurt us in in a lot of ways the first almost two years of production we were only making beer that was available for for draft placements so those that are familiar with the distribution game 
it can be it's it's oftentimes a lot harder to take a draft handle down right. and replace it than it is getting a shelf placement somewhere so as very young company as very young brewers untested you know unproven we found a lot of you know difficulty getting a foot in the door to a lot of places so we honestly so put was, that strategy in it was more like like you guys just right. going to a place. So if you give us a shot, out there, right. talking we'll to them. make you make a house beer yes. and we'll see what you think. And we'll get you involved. We're not we're not master brewers. Neither Jim nor myself would ever put that on a business card. That's mm. not, mm. you know, there's we're always more to yet. learn. <laughs> uh, so going into a place and, and trying to get a foot in the door with a, a, a tavern or a, a restaurant or something that, like, who the hell are you guys? Like, well, give us an opportunity. We'll... For a relatively we'll little a commitment, beer for we'll make you, you a, a beer, and then you can see what we're about. That's one of the best right. innovative ideas I've heard of in beer or whiskey. Like, I mean, that's all credit to you guys on that because yeah, it's, it's being replicated over and over and over again now. Right. But I mean, and it was well, done on larger scales where people would just take a core beer and rebrand it to that house. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. our house beer, but no, the, come in. This is your dish that you want to pair it with. Uh, one of the more delicious but strange beers was a spicy Thai basil and right. serrano pepper pale. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Uh, it was, where'd it was you guys, where'd you guys was do going, that? That was going back a while. It was Green Door? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was it, where was that? Green, Green Door, Door, Door Tavern. Tavern. Really? Uh, that beer was delicious. I mean, on its face, most people, ah, serrano peppers, what? But oh. No, I mean, it played perfectly with the hop profile as well. Were you so. going to friends in the industry to do did, that or did, kind of just It didn't go full habanero sculpin. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take your face off. Right. Um, and it, we didn't just offer this to everyone. If right. your, your concept made sense for what we did and it kind of had some of the same ethos or just approach to things and we were excited for it. Yeah. We did lean on some some connections within absolutely. in the industry. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Oh yeah, that. absolutely. Like, we all do. Yeah. Yeah, we've got this crazy idea. You're a buddy. You want to give me a shot on on 100. I mean, we're talking about Hundred gallon batches too, so not huge production scale batches of beer. So the 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 risk on the restaurant side was we thought was not particularly steep. Yeah, is um, that financially a risk for you guys to do that if the beer doesn't work out? Uh, yeah, at the time when we were a brand new brewery, we right. couldn't afford many misses. Right, that's for sure. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking like first. That and, the, and there's certainly got to be a commitment from from the other side yeah, too, from you, the restaurant. You have to be understanding of that yeah. too. If, the, if it's not pulling through, or they're not behind it for some reason after mm-hmm. the fact, you know, management change that's happened before. Where we brew a beer and then here's a new buyer and like, yeah, what's this? Like, well, now you have to find a home for it. There's nothing wrong with that beer, yeah. but so there's a risk on our end. That's why we kept it as small as possible. So we're gonna make you this beer. <laughs> And it's going to have cherry seeds from the Mediterranean era. <laughs> and I promise you're going to like it. And people are like, huh? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, it also gives the customers kind of like a sense of being exclusive in that moment with the with the food and the beer. And the, it's the whole experience when you're at the restaurant thinking like, hey, like this beer was essentially built for this meal. And, or this pairing, whatever you want to call or it. Or this portion of the menu, yeah. or whatever it may and be. It feels like it's kind of built for me because it's aligning with my taste buds, and then hopefully that person becomes a fan of your brewery after having that meal. That's another even deeper consideration. The, the two of us have both managed folks in, in the service life, and we know very much what the experience of, of waiting tables and serving beers behind a bar is like. Yeah. We know that having those folks on our side or on the side of our brand is infinitely valuable so giving places a, a home beer oftentimes is a very easy conversation starter with po- folks that are in that server role they're like 
if you, you've never been here before, or perhaps you'd like to, to try our house beer. We've got this rolling from the small brand in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Trying yep. to give the advantage to the folks who are ultimately on the front line selling it is a consideration, always. Yeah, we, there are a number of brew days where half or the entire staff would show up and help brew oh, that beer. Oh, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that gives the personal touch, too, then, because they're yeah. going to sell it for you Trying guys. to give them some ownership Absolutely. Of what's yeah, I get some, some money shots, pouring in hops <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up this bottle or just a yeah. uh, uh, barrel of something here. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's lost, too, where people ask, well, why did Chicago become this, like, craft movement of beer, whiskey, food, everything overall? And you look at it, well, it's because people were working in bars and restaurants and then started their own businesses and started these ideas and started building around their friends in a community where we could all share it together. It's, it, it, that can't be lost at all because you have breweries working with distilleries now and barrel aging their brews with the barrels they're using at the distilleries and going into restaurants and working with guys who might have been a bartender. Now they're the manager of the restaurant or they're still a buyer of some place. And you say, like, hey, we do this collaboration together. Um, which can be fully encompassing, like our just just our neighborhood of Chicago, and we can bring it into your restaurant, which we share a neighborhood with. Yeah, and it's been just growing and growing for the last. I mean, like what you guys said, like eight years, probably even dating back to like 2007, 2008. Oh, you know, yeah. before well, that too. The interest for beer mm-hmm. started to blossom. You know? Right. Just like, oh, what's this? What's that? And yeah. Constantly exploring. Finally, like, take the leap and actually try to brew it ourselves, and then you're in love with that. <laughs> You ever had days like go to the Target and you buy like local craft beer and Target you're like, they made it. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, cool. Now it's everywhere, obviously, uh, in Target. But you're like, that's that's pretty cool to see like a six pack and when you could buy them for like eight dollars, you know, back in the day. But it's uh, it's it's different, but it's expanded. But I'll never forget more the power f- for it. I'll never forget the first time I saw one of our products for sale on the shelf at a Walgreens. <laughs> that was just like just whoa. slapped in the face with the reality of that. It was like, whoa, that's different. Is it like hearing your song on the radio? <laughs> I, I, similar. Similar, sure, yeah. <laughs> no, that was the first time you saw a draft handle up. Yeah. That was the first time that it was just like unbelievable. What was that feeling like? Uh, the gratif- I can't even describe the gratification. Uh, I think. Uh, I feel like we're doing a terrible job at talking about spirits and whiskey. Well, because this is a whiskey podcast, I feel allegedly. like we should. Allegedly. <laughs> we should. Uh, I said that will it. Yes. Ah, nice. You get pairing with this. So, uh, don't so yeah. Anything, don't know anything about that name. <laughs> never uh, never so heard of it. So this was actually dropped off uh, to me last night. Um, it's become a friend of mine and a, and a whiskey regular. It's a charmed um, existence you he's lead. Been dropping off some some samples for me. And so this is a Willet six year single barrel bourbon uh, at cast strength at sixty one. Point eight percent. So I figured that we should. Nothing better on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Sun shining. Then some high proof whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have it, Bob. Yeah, Let's do it, Bob. There Dumb it go. out. Of course, you have to get the Avalar glass out there. I, <laughs> <laughs> Solid product placement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now this was a uh, for the pairing of this beer, like the juiciness you get from that and the sweetness that you guys are going for with the spicy. I had this last night with Bob. And the spicy notes to it, it's going to be a nice little compliment. Yeah, it's it's so. a higher proof, obviously. It is, yeah. Um, it's, it's big. We talked about like, it could be better maybe like around 1 to 110. Kind I think of so. More of like a, a crisper versus spicier experience. Right. Um, Should we have the cheers? Cheers. cheers. Yeah, cheers. absolutely, hey. fellas. Hey, cheers, guys. Cheers. You know what? 
I do enjoy it more on a second go around. And I actually get more. I I asked you. I'm like, hey, is this? I didn't know what it was. I think when I first tried it last yep. night, I was thinking, is this a rye? Because it has like a little bit of like lemony grass flavor to it. Mm -hmm. That comes together like fruity pebbles, in a beautiful way. I think someone said that last night too. I remember yeah. who said that, but someone it's said they're trying it. Bakeman. It's a big boy, but <laughs> I definitely see the rye spice. Yeah, like you would assume. I'm like, that's outstanding. Six year. It, yeah, six year Willet, uh, single barrel. Did he say for, where he got it? For some reason, he did not say where he got it. Now, for some reason, it, it kind of reads on this little sample bottle. It almost, the year, it looks like it says 2097, which doesn't, <laughs> my, my, my guess is that it's, it's 2017, but doesn't that say, doesn't it look like 2097? Yeah, it does. Or 2047, maybe even. <laughs> is your friend the Terminator? What if right. he, yeah, what if he <laughs> traveled in time? He's like, well, um, at least we're gonna be around in the future with whiskey. Uh, he's been a whiskey regular for years, and um, so yeah, it might be the Rickhouse code. Yeah, last couple of weeks he's been coming in and dropping off some uh, some little samples for him, which is pretty cool. There's something on the back, I think. Maybe not. It's a map. Yeah, it says like four. It is a map. It says four <laughs> six five <laughs> something. The coordinates. Nick yeah. Cage walks in. <laughs> Yeah, it's a secret treasure test waiting for us at the end of that map. It's a call me phone number. It's the last little bit of Stitzerweller juice. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's buried in a in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. As enthusiastic whiskey drinkers as you self-subscribe to, uh, what do you usually enjoy while drinking whiskey? Uh, I think Sunsets. I got I to tow the company line there. Mm. Um, the opportunity to work for this restaurant group has given me ample opportunity to try the best whiskeys from every corner of the world and right. it's uh i can't I, I there's there's no way that i could ever really encapsulate that experience um the gratitude it's it's ridiculous i constantly get to taste stuff that just blows my doors off um yeah pretty spoiled I'm, in that aspect uh, yeah. very very spoiled uh i'm an american whiskey guy yeah mostly but that being said, there's always outliers. So I'm uh, guessing you enjoy the Russell's Barrel picks that come through here. Boy, the newest one is a barn burner. It is it's awesome. Um, oh. I tend to gravitate towards weeders. I like okay. weeded products. Um, I'm always, you know, fascinated by cask finishes, and mm -hmm. you know. I got a, a, a soft spot for port-finished American whiskeys. Is he describing Star Wars right now? Is it, yeah, yeah <laughs> might be. Yep, yep. Outside of the American. Yeah, outside of the American part. Outside of the Australian, American part, but, yeah. but yeah. port-finished, uh, that is... Uh, well, wine and wine and wheat, we mm. specialize in that. Well, most recently, I've, I'm getting into the, the American single malts a lot. And mm. Yeah. Stuff from Westland and Virginia Distilling and... Yeah. You know, those Sonoma products are really, really cool. And I, oh, I yeah. think that's an oh, yeah. awesome segment that I hope gets even more traction because really distinct really beautiful whiskeys that kind of marriage uh marriage fl marry uh flavors from old world and new world mm -hmm. really really well uh things that that drink that you can easily sell to american whiskey drinkers or scotch drinkers yes. or irish drinkers there's a lot of those american single malts are especially uh, inexperienced mm -hmm. scotch drinkers that enjoy a lot of american whiskey especially if you're even getting involved yeah. in the craft level but i've said it many times yeah absolutely i said it many times and i'll say it again i think what adam's doing over at sonoma with the cherrywood um uh smoke cherrywood is going to be a complete game changer in american whiskey where it's going to introduce so many 
parts of the world to American whiskey drinkers that they didn't know about and thinking when they go and say like, oh, like I smoked scotch or I like something that's smoky, um, but you can actually have it from, from Northern California that represents the entire territory up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first class stuff right there. And then uh, I'll, we said with Westland too, I was judging a whiskey competition that last weekend, Bob? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, weekend. Bob, Bob blew me off on that. I did not, I did not <laughs> blow you off. I had, um, I had, unfortunately, I had a conflict of... But I did flights of Irish, um, international, peed scotch, and single malt, American single malts. And American single malts was my favorite category and probably the highest overall ranking of categories that I had. I think it's something special that uh, American distillers on a craft level are really doing with guys like out in Westward and Virginia Stilling Co. Um, Balcones, representing what they can do with their local terroir and represent and really put it into a glass and make it a completely different experience than what's happening in the rest of the world um, with whiskey. It's young. It's you know it's a it's a nod to the old world as you said, but it's also representing a unique experience that represents um, an American class of whiskey. Lots of distinctiveness, and I think that there's a really excellent parallel between our ad- between the attitudes that we were just talking about, the use of the the smoked cherry wood, mm. and kind of taking a, an idea like an abstract concept of like peated whiskey what is peated whiskey supposed to taste like what are you know everyone knows isla flavor or whiskey drinkers know isla flavor Mm -hmm. how can we accomplish something similar but very different yes and Mm -hmm. we we strive to do that with beers a lot of times Mm -hmm. like i love the idea of of this kind of flavor what sort of mimics that what's much different or you know a conversation starter Mm -hmm. that's true and i think in Whiskey is becoming regionalized in that sense. We're trying to, I think people are trying to bring back to you know the American style or the Maryland style rise with like Sagamore what they're yep. doing over there and some other distilleries. When people in Texas are like, we're trying to make Texas whiskey and then American single malts, obviously, which is very close to passing with the TDB when it comes to an actual defined definition of rules and laws of making it, but. I, I think that will only help sell American spirits because now we have two, 3,000 distilleries. And you're like, where do I start? What do I begin with? And the easy answer is start where you're from, I think. I mean, Absolutely. Especially here. Yeah. Like here, I mean, just released the Bottle and Bind um, at Whiskey Acres this week. Or they're doing their official release party today. Um, whatever day today is. Friday. <laughs> October something. Um, but having that four-year whiskey that was made at one distillery, actually having a bottle and bond, I think is huge for Illinois craft whiskey. Yeah. That's and super that, cool. That is yeah. really cool. And it's really I good. Mean, too. It's really good, too. I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, it's today. really good, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I gotta try that. So That's if you're, cool. If you're into Calvary tonight, or... Monday when this comes out, right. you missed it. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully they still have some. How how is that? How is beer doing that? Is it how is is it regionalizing or using? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, more local than ever. Yeah. Hyper local. Hyper local. Some of that is is kind of sad to watch. Uh, you know, yeah. really influential brands, yeah. people that that we admire, idolize, that are are shrinking away, you know, pulling back towards their home cities and things like that it's it's a natural part of of the industry exploding but uh there's definitely good and bad aspects of the the things becoming more hyper local yeah you know, sounds good to me perfect guys thanks for joining us hey, it's awesome thank you guys yeah bob thanks for co-hosting <laughs> did great did great bob did great el, el, el presidente you did great awesome uh well for the Ailman guys, for Bob, for Fountainhead, this is Jake from Star Ward. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys.